Well, I want to start this morning by asking a question. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled person? Another way of asking this question is, what does it look like when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? This is something that every Christian should aspire to, and every church should long to be a church that's defined as a spirit-filled church. And yet, as we know, being spirit-filled can mean different things to different people. I've had some people tell me that they can tell that this church or that church is not spirit-filled because they don't show a lot of emotion while they're singing. I've heard other people say that they can tell that this group of people is not spirit-filled because they don't speak in strange languages. For some people, being spirit-filled means the pastor gets all worked up. And he sweats a lot. And he's very emotional. But is that really what being spirit-filled means? Is that what it, being spirit-filled looks like? Well, from what we have seen during our brief journey in the book of Luke so far, what it means to be spirit-filled is to be someone that makes much of Jesus. We saw this last week in the story of Zechariah, if you were with us. Zechariah, even right after having his own child, after not being able to have a child for many, many years, in the wake of having his own child, can't stop talking about Jesus. Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, makes much of Jesus. And we saw this same thing to be true in the story of Elizabeth. As Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, she glorifies God through making much of Jesus. And in today's text, we are going to see more of the same. In our text this morning, we learn about Simeon. And Simeon, a man filled with the Spirit of God, makes much of Jesus. The setting for our story this morning takes place in the temple in Jerusalem. And it happens about 40 days after Jesus' birth. So for us, today is Christmas Eve. We are looking forward to Christmas tomorrow. And yet for the characters in our story... For Mary and Joseph, Christmas has already come. Jesus has already been born. The shepherds have already come and seen him. And now it's time for them to take Jesus to the temple where he's going to meet Simeon. And most people are pretty familiar with the birth uh, narrative of Jesus, especially from the book of Luke. Um, but most people are not as familiar with this story, um, the story that happens just after Jesus is born. So I think it's kind of fun that we get to study this story this morning. Uh, this week, we'll study the story of Simeon, and we'll look at his song of blessing. And then next week, Rudolph will finish off his song of blessing and then look at the story of Anna. And as we look at our passage, we will break it up into three sections. First, we're going to look at Mary and Joseph bringing the baby Jesus to the temple. Um, second, we'll look at the introduction to Simeon, and then finally we'll look at the song or the blessing of Simeon. So if you are taking notes, a helpful way that I've been labeling these three sections are, section number one is the law, section two is the spirit, and section three is the savior. The law, the spirit, and the savior. And we'll start with the first section that I've titled the law. Uh, and the reason I titled this um, the law is because 
as we read it, you'll see it's, it's very obvious that Luke is highlighting the fact that Mary and Joseph are being obedient to all that has been passed down to them through the law and the prophets. So as I read this again for us, starting in verse 22, pay attention to all the times that Luke mentions the law in just this short passage. Starting in verse 22, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So in this short section, Luke is being very intentional to highlight the fact that Mary and Joseph were God-honoring, law-observing Jews. You can imagine that um, following these customs would have caused them um, some hardships. Bringing a, a newborn baby all the way up to Jerusalem to observe these um, laws would have been a hindrance to them, and yet Luke is careful to show that Mary and Joseph are faithfully following the law. They are faithful Jewish parents. And this is important since later on in Jesus' life, him and his followers, followers are accused of subverting the law, to working against the law. And yet what we see here is that Luke is emphasizing, even as a baby, even as a passive child in his mother's arms, Jesus is in perfect submission to the law. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus came and Jesus lived in perfect submission to the law so that he could be our perfect substitution. So what were these laws that Mary and Joseph were fulfilling? Well, there's a couple of them that Luke summarizes here. The first of the law was the law of purification. In Leviticus 12, the law states that when a mother gives birth to a male child, she would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. So this doesn't mean that she is unclean because of some sin, uh, but that she's unfit to enter the temple. After these seven days, she was supposed to take 33 days to rest before making the journey to the temple to offer sacrifices. Um, they were to offer a lamb and a turtle dove. Um, the lamb was to be a burnt offering and the turtle dove as a sin offering. But the law also stipulated that if the couple was poor and could not afford the price of a lamb, they could offer two turtle doves or two pigeons instead, one bird for burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. So Luke here is emphasizing that Mary and Joseph offer the two birds. Um, they don't have the money for the lamb, which shows that they are not wealthy. All they can do is pay the price for these two birds, and yet they are being faithful to obey the law. So that's the first law we see, this law of purification. And then the second law is a little bit more complicated. It's the law that has to do with the firstborn males. The firstborn males. And this law goes all the way back to the story of the Exodus. If you remember the story of the Exodus, God rescues his people by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And the way that he does this is through sending the 10 plagues. Pharaoh hardens his heart and God sends these 10 plagues to show that he is the one true God. 
And if you remember the last plague that God sends is the most devastating. The plague that kills every firstborn child in the home. And this is the story of where we get the Passover. Every home that does not have the blood of the lamb placed over the doorframe lost their firstborn male child as part of God's judgment. So from this event, God then establishes a law to help his people and their children remember what he did for them. He establishes the Passover. So the Passover is this feast that the Jews were to celebrate every year to remember what God has done. And then he establishes this law of the firstborn child to help the children remember what God has done. And all this was a way to remind the people of how God had rescued them. So when their children would ask their parents, Mom, Dad, what is, this, what is this law about? Why do we have to go through these rituals? The parents were to tell their children to share the story of God's faithfulness to his people, how God had brought them out and redeemed them. So Mary and Joseph are honoring this law. They're bringing, um, they're bringing Jesus to the temple for him to be dedicated to the Lord. This law would sometimes include a five-shekel tax, in a way, um, where the family would buy back the child from the Lord, but Luke doesn't really mention anything about the tax. And so we're not sure if they did pay it or if there's something else going on here where um, Jesus was never bought back because he is dedicated to the Lord. Full-time service. He is wholly consecrated to the Lord. So that is the, the two laws that Mary and Joseph here are being faithful to follow, again, as, as good, faithful Jewish parents. And one final note that I want to highlight from this section is how Luke describes the law. Did you notice when we read it how inconsistent he is when he talks about the law? So look back at the text. Look at verse 22. At first... The author, Luke, describes the law as the law of Moses. But then in verse 23 and 24, he calls it the law of the Lord. So which one is it? Is it the law of the Lord or is it the law of Moses? We, we want Luke to be consistent here. But the answer is yes. Luke can call the law both the law of Moses and the law of the Lord because it's God's law written down by Moses and given to the people through Moses. So it's both. God is the ultimate author, and yet Moses is the instrument that he worked through to write it down and bring it to the people. And this, this is a beautiful reminder for us. This is a, a good reminder for us that God's word is breathed out by God. Whether God's word is written down by the apostle Paul, whether it's written by Luke, whether it's written by Moses, all of God's word is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what this means is that you and I cannot pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we like. We need to follow God's word and allow it to be authoritative in our lives. We can't just say, I like this part and ignore all the rest. All of God's word, even the difficult parts, have authority over our lives. 
So one easy way to, to test yourself and to think through, am I living in submission to God's word is, do you make a priority of studying God's word individually? Do you make it a priority to take in God's word so that it changes you? So that God's word is forming you and shaping you? Do you sit under it preached so that slowly God's word softens you? Do you make decisions based off God's word? Or knowing God's word, do you try to ignore what the Bible says so that you can live the way that you want to live? God's word is our authority. All of God's word is inspired. If God is convicting you of something in his word, don't run from it. Don't hide it. Don't stuff it. Allow God's word to convict you, convict you and confess it. Pray that God would give you the strength to move on. One encouragement from this story that we see is that here, Jesus, as a baby, is being brought to the temple. And what's so unique about this is that Jesus is the true temple. He is God's presence dwelling with us. So this birth story is the temple coming to the temple. As we think about confessing our sins, we don't have to go to a temple. The church is Christ's body. We are the temple of the Lord. We can confess, confess our sins to one another. We can go straight to Jesus knowing that he stands ready to forgive us. So this is a beautiful reminder of what is going on. So now that we've looked at Mary and Joseph and their obedience to the law, we can move and focus now on the character of Simeon. This begins section two of our passage titled The Spirit. And just like the first passage, I've titled this section The Spirit because from reading it, you can tell that Luke is really emphasizing the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work in Simeon and then the Spirit's work to guide Simeon. We'll pick up the story in verse 25. Look back at the text with me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So we'll stop there for now. So in this next section, we are introduced to the man Simeon. And Simeon really is a pretty mysterious character in the Bible. He only appears in this short little section, and not a lot of, is known about him. So Simeon, uh, we don't know Simeon's profession. Um, we don't know um, where he works or any of his background. Simeon is in the temple, um, but the text doesn't say that Simeon works for the temple or that he's a priest. So again, Simeon is, is kind of a mysterious figure here. All that we know about Simeon is that he is a righteous and devout man. He's a righteous and devout man. Now, this doesn't mean that Simeon was perfect, but it means that Simeon was someone who had placed his hope in the promises of God. Someone who had placed his hope in God's promises and was living according to God's law. You see, Simeon, like Abraham, 
believed the God, God's promises, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Simeon's righteousness was not something that he earned, something that he had done for himself, but it was something gifted to him by God. Like everyone before Jesus and everyone after Jesus, Simeon was righteous only by his faith in God's promises. And this is made clear from the text um, and how it describes Simeon. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So in other words, he was waiting for God to fulfill the promises that he had made to his people. You see, Simeon would have known his Old Testament well. He would have known the promises that God had made to his people. Promises about how he would send the Messiah to redeem his people. Promises about how the Messiah would throw off their enemies and establish a time of peace and prosperities. He would have also known the promises about the Messiah bringing true forgiveness. He would have known the passage, passages like Isaiah 118, which says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become as wool. So from passages like these and so many others, Simeon would have known that his only hope for forgiveness was God's grace. He would have understood that simply following the law wasn't enough. He needed God's grace to show him forgiveness. God himself had promised that he would remove Israel's sins and give them new hearts. And so Simeon is longing for this day, looking for, forward to this day when this would be fulfilled. I'm sure as Simeon went to the temple, he would have grown tired of seeing these sacrifices day after day, and yet the hypocrisy of the people. People that are bringing sacrifices, but their hearts are far from it. He would have been longing to see God come and bring that restoration. The text tells us that along with being righteous, Simeon is a devout man. This means that he was a sanctified man. Not perfectly, but he was someone who had sat under God's word, allowed it to change him from the inside out. He was a mature man of faith, not someone easily pushed about by his emotions, by the trials that he faced. Simeon was a devout man. And yet, before we begin to make too much of Simeon, we need to remember that Simeon was just a man like us. We need to remember what had caused Simeon to be like this. What had caused him to be this righteous and devout man? Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. In other words, Simeon was a spirit-filled man. In God's grace, God had given him the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit had caused him to long for God's promises. In and of himself, Simeon is not something, someone that we would want to emulate. But spirit-filled, we can praise God that Simeon is a faithful brother and an example to us. God had given Simeon the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we examine our text, we can see that this is not the only gift that God has given to Simeon. As he was faithfully waiting for the Messiah to come, God gives Simeon another, a very unique gift. Through the Holy Spirit, God reveals to Simeon that he will not see death until he sees the Lord's Christ. So in other words, Simeon is told that he's not going to die 
until he sees the Messiah. The very thing that Simeon was longing for, the very thing that he's been hoping for, God tells him, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. What an amazing gift that God gives him. God's not obligated to tell Simeon this. It's not like Simeon has earned this. He hasn't been more righteous than the next guy, and yet God, in his kindness, gives this gift anyways. And as I was reading the story and reflecting on it, I was struck, struck by the kindness of the Lord. Right? So Simeon is just a normal dude. He's not an important character in the biblical narrative. He's not someone like King David or Moses or Daniel. He's just an ordinary guy. And yet God sees him and shows him this incredible kindness. Let this be an encouragement to you. If you are like Simeon, just a normal Christian doing your best to love God, remember that he sees you. He sees you when you are faithful to obey him. He sees you even in the little things that no one else notices. And while God probably hasn't given you a promise like the one that he gave to Simeon, think about all of the ways that God has been kind to you. If you are in Christ, God has shown you incredible kindness. From the little things to the big things, God loves you. and He has shown you kindness and it's good to pause to reflect on God's kindness towards us. If you're here today and you're not even a Christian, God has been kind to you. He's he's provided for you and sustained you. He's given you a chance to hear the gospel. His kindness is meant to draw you to himself this morning. His kindness is meant to turn you from your sins so that you can run to him. Well, our text doesn't tell us how long Simeon had to wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. From the text, it seems like Simeon could have been waiting for a long time, maybe even decades. But what we do know is God is faithful. And at the right time, God fulfills his promises. We are told that Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit into the temple where he finds Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus. This is another section where the text leaves out a lot. We don't get all the details of how Simeon knew where to go or even how he recognized Jesus out of all the other babies that would have been there today, that day. It's not like he could just go up and find the only baby with a halo. I don't think that's how it works, right? So Simeon, led by the Holy Spirit, finds Mary and Joseph. In God's perfect providence, the Lord leads him to this family. He recognizes Jesus, and he takes him in his arms, and he blesses God. I'm not sure if this would have been weird for Mary to have some stranger in the temple come up to her and take her baby. But Mary's had a lot of weird stuff go on recently, so maybe she's just gotten used to it at this point. She's just along for the ride. So Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and blesses him, and this leads us to our third section, the Savior. And in this last section, we're going to look at Simeon's blessing. And really, this is where we're going to see how all of this connects to us. You see, up until this point, this has been a very Jewish story. We've read about a young Jewish father and mother who have brought their Jewish baby to the Jewish temple to observe all the Jewish commandments 
that come from the Jewish scripture. So if you're hearing this for the first time, it would be reasonable for you to ask the question, what does this have to do with me? Especially if I'm not Jewish, how does this relate to me? And Simeon's song is going to show how Jesus is both the glory of Israel and the light that brings salvation to the Gentiles. We're going to see that in his song. So look back to the song with me, starting in verse 29. Let me read Simeon's song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Just as we have seen from all the other songs in Luke so far, those who are spirit-filled make much of Jesus. And Simeon is no exception. In his song, Simeon follows the same sort of pattern that we've seen. He praises God and he makes much of Jesus. And there are really three main ways that Simeon does this. Number one, Simeon praises Jesus as Savior. Number two, Jesus, Simeon praises Jesus as the light to the Gentiles. And number three, Simeon praises Jesus as the glory of Israel. Let's start with that first one. Simeon praises Jesus as Savior. So Simeon opens his song of blessing by recording or recognizing that God has been faithful to his promise. Simeon had waited years, maybe even decades at this point, and yet all that God had promised has come true. He has been able to see the Lord's Messiahs with his own eyes. Not only that, Simeon has been able to take Jesus in his arms. He's been able to hold him, physically touch God's Messiah. And in response, Simeon essentially tells God, okay, Lord, I can die now. I'm ready to go. I've seen the Messiah, and now I can depart in peace. So Simeon is ready to die. He's finally seen the Messiah. Maybe at this point, he's an old man. He's saying, Lord, there's nothing else for me to do. Let me depart in peace. But did you notice how Simeon speaks of Jesus in the passage? It's really unique. Simeon could have said so many things about Jesus, and yet I love what he says. Look back at the text in verse 30. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon recognizes that Jesus is not only the one who brings salvation, but Jesus is our salvation. Jesus himself is the salvation of the Lord. His perfect life, death, and resurrection made a way for us to be reconciled to God. The Bible says that he himself is our peace. This is why as Christians, it takes more than just an intellectual assent that God is real, right? Lots of people believe that God is real. That alone doesn't make you a Christian. This is why simply believing that Jesus died on the cross is not enough. Again, intellectually affirming that something happened in history does not in and of itself make you a Christian. True faith is trusting in the person of Jesus. It is trusting that Jesus accomplished our salvation, and he is alive today, standing ready to forgive all that would come to him in faith. 
Since Jesus is our salvation, we cling to him. We don't cling to some abstract truth, but to a person. We need good theology, and yet just by knowing the right doctrine won't save you. If your faith is not in Jesus, only Jesus saves. We must be united to him in faith because Jesus alone is our salvation. And in many ways, Noah's Ark, the story from the very beginning of the Bible, is a, is a great foreshadow of the type of salvation that Jesus offers. You can think about that story. There are a lot of people standing around the ark that could have admired the ark. They're looking at this massive boat, and they could have, they could have talked about it. They could have commented on how this boat was incredibly waterproof. And yet those were not those who were saved from the flood. It was not even those who knew the engineering behind the ark. Those who could have told you how the ark was able to float that were saved. It was those who were on the ark. Those who were inside the ark were saved from God's judgment. And in the same way, we need to be in Jesus. He is our salvation. We need to be united to him by faith. That is how we are saved. Simeon understood who Jesus was and he praised him because he is our salvation. Secondly, Simeon praised Jesus as the light to the Gentiles. As I said earlier, this is where we see how all this connects to us. Simeon, speaking about Jesus, says that he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So Simeon is showing that salvation that Jesus offers is not a salvation for just a small group of ethnically similar people. The salvation that Jesus offers is for all nations, the Gentiles, those who are not ethnically Jewish. You and I are brought in. We are given light to see God's salvation. This is why although Jesus was born a very to very Jewish parents who followed the law closely, the angels came and they could sing peace on earth. God's salvation was really for all those who are on earth. All people, regardless of their background or tribe, are invited into this salvation. This is God's plan from the very beginning. Although God chose Israel as his unique special people to bring about his word and the Messiah, God's plan has always been to bring salvation to the nations. And Simeon understood this. He understood the Old Testament prophecies, just like Zechariah. And Simeon is simply echoing what the Bible has been saying. He's echoing those Old Testament prophecies. And we saw this in our Old Testament scripture reading that Jake and Isabel read for us. Isaiah 49 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So God is speaking to his Messiah, and he's saying, listen, just saving Israel is not big enough. I will make you as a light so that my salvation can go to all people. God's plan from the very beginning to the very end is that he would bring in the nations. And God has been faithful to his word. You and I here today are evidence of God's faithfulness. God has brought us in. 
we are outsiders. We are Gentiles, and yet God has brought us in by his Messiah. Again, this is, this is something that we can reflect on, the kindness of God. He has welcomed us into his family. You and I had no claim for God's family. We were outsiders. We had set ourselves up as enemies of God, and yet, in God's kindness, he's welcomed us. He's called us into his own family and allowed us to become children of God. God has given us the Spirit, just like he gave it to Simeon, and we can be righteous as we stand before God. It's good to reflect on all that God has given us, the kindness of God that he has shown us in Christ. If you are struggling, I hope that this lifts your spirits. The Bible is calling us not to focus on our problems, not to focus on all that the world has going on, but to look to Jesus. To think about Jesus, to remember the kindness that God has shown us and allow that to give us joy. So often in life, we can get discouraged, we can get frustrated. We get focused on the little things that God has not given us while missing all of the ways that God has been faithful. All of his kindness, all of his grace that he has shown us. So I want to encourage you to take time to reflect on that. Let that change your attitude, change your perspective in this holiday season. Well, finally, in our third point, we see that Simeon worships Jesus because he is the glory of Israel. Simeon worships Jesus because he is the glory of Israel. As Simeon holds this little baby boy in his arms, he recognizes something incredible. This little child is the glory of Israel. From the very beginning of their history as a people, everything has been pointing to this. Jesus is the reason for it all. All the law and the prophets pointed forward to him, and he is the fulfillment of all that they hoped for. As we sing, Jesus is the new and better Adam. He's the new and better Moses. He's the new and better David that will establish God's kingdom forever. forever. Ultimately, Jesus is the new and better Israel because he perfectly upholds the law. This is why Jesus is Israel's consolation. He is the one that will bring all the promises to Israel. In the Old Testament, the glory of Israel was a title that was given to God himself. Um, in 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel says that God is the glory of Israel. And God himself is given this title because without God, Israel had nothing to boast about in themselves. They couldn't boast in their military. They couldn't boast in their own power, their own wealth. God himself was their glory. He had given them everything. He had chosen them as a small nation so that through them, he could be made, he could be seen as glorious. God himself is the glory of Israel. And now, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the glory of Israel. The salvation, Jesus is the glory of Israel because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus is the one true God of Israel who's now come down to rescue his people, to bring salvation once and for all. So as he is filled with the Holy Spirit, Simeon recognizes this amazing truth and he praises Jesus as a salvation, the light to the Gentiles, 
and the glory of Israel. And what does he do in response to all of this? He makes much of Jesus. In the middle of this crowded courtyard, Simeon sings a song praising God and making much of Jesus. What a great example he is for us to follow. As we desire to be spirit-filled people, we can do the same. In our songs and in our preaching, in our lives, we can make much of Jesus by recognizing who he is. One really practical way that you can apply that this season is by being bold about your faith. Especially in the Christmas season, there's opportunities to have difficult conversations with people, to share truth around the dinner table, to be bold about reading your Bible in public. Allow people to see you, to see your love for Jesus as it overflows in your personal life. Let God's word have, be its, your highest authority. And then in your public life, share Jesus. It's good to remember that Jesus is a light that brings salvation to the Gentiles. His desire is that all men would hear the good news, that all would turn and repent. And you and I are invited to be a part of that. We get to open our mouths and share the truth about Jesus. We can leave the results up to God, but we can trust that as we are faithful to share, God will do the work of changing hearts. So share Christ boldly. While the story closes after, after Simeon finishes his song, and not a lot else is ever said about Simeon. We don't know what happens to him. He comes into the temple, he holds Jesus in his arms, and then after this, he's gone. He just fades away. We don't know if he lived for a long time after this, or if God granted his request, and God let him die. But Simeon's life is a perfect example for how we want to live. Faithful Christians, filled with the Spirit, making much of Jesus. And then at the end of our lives, let us fade away. Let us fade away so that Jesus can take center stage. We want to be forgotten. We don't want to be remembered because Jesus is the glory of Israel. Jesus is our glory and we can rest in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.